I want to invite you this morning to turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 7. Scott read uh, our text for us this morning. I want to just draw you back uh, to two particular, uh, or one particular verse at the end. As we think this morning about Jesus' priorities in this passage. John chapter 7, verse 24, you don't need to stand again, as I always do. I'll probably read the whole text several times as we go back through it. But he says, do not judge by appearances, but judge by right judgment. Everyone has priorities in the world. You've got priorities of things you're going to do today. I would imagine for some of you, not all, but for some of you, those priorities over the last several days have involved basketball. It's going to be a priority for you to watch the games. When I was growing up, and I, apparently maybe they don't do this anymore, which is a tragedy, but when I was growing up, you could watch some of these games, both last week and this week, on television during school. You still doing that, Susan? Good. Some people think we need to bring back corporal punishment in school. I think we need to bring back basketball. Because we've got to have our priorities right. Forget math or science, reading, English, or social studies. We need the ACC and NCAA basketball tournaments in schools. That feels like a winning platform for someone wanting to run for school board. I'm just throwing that out there if you decide to do so. You've got my vote. We all have priorities. And we've seen throughout our text Jesus' priorities. We've seen how they often do not line up with the priorities of the Jewish people. We're going to see that accelerate as we continue through John's gospel. The religious leaders have a priority when it comes to their control. The crowds have a priority. They want to see Jesus do the miraculous. They want to see him do great things. They want to see him feed thousands of people and change the water into wine and raise those who are sick and those who are dead. They want to see those things. They want him to be king is their priority at one point, though he shrugs them off and continues about his mission. There's a contrast that happens between the things that the Jewish leaders say and teach, the things that they will to happen, the authority that they have, the judgments that they make. There's a contrast between those things and what Jesus does. They'll say one thing and he says the other. They'll want him to do one thing and Jesus will do the opposite. We saw this in our text last week. His brothers wanted him to go to the feast and to show himself, to show who he was and to perform some miracles when all the people had gathered around. And surely if he did that, though they didn't really believe in him, if he did that, it would draw people to him. People would be excited. They would be surprised. They would follow him. And for the brothers, they could see how that would be beneficial for them. But Jesus doesn't give in to those things. Jesus works on God's time and not their time. His priorities are the priorities of the Father and not the priorities of the world 
or the crowd or the leaders. This morning, I want us to look through this passage in verses 14 through 24, and we're going to see six particular contrasts that take place. They want one thing. They expect one thing. They want to hear one thing, the crowd, the Jewish leaders. But Jesus gives them another. And I think all six of these priorities are very relevant for us and important for us because we're going to have to have a contrast. Six of them in particular that I see here in this text. Beginning in verses 14 through 16, we see that Jesus is not going to give them his own teaching, but rather he's going to give them God's teaching. We read that in the middle of the feast, Jesus goes up to the temple and he begins teaching. This is a unique thing because we've not seen a lot of explicit teaching in times that we're told that Jesus was teaching. Often he is doing signs and he is performing miracles, but here he is doing none of those things. He has went to the temple about the middle, sometime in the middle of the feast, and he begins to teach. And the Jews marvel, how is it this man that has, how is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? Jesus is a country boy, if you will. And when they hear him begin to teach, he doesn't sound like that. In fact, he sounds like he knows what he's talking about. Now, us, as the readers of John's gospel, we know why it is that Jesus knows what he's talking about. Because he's the one that made everything. He is the word of God that has existed always with God and has created all things. We know all of these things. But but here, the crowd, the Jewish people, just see him come into the temple and he begins to teach. And they marvel at that. They say, how is it possible? How is it possible? Because he's never studied. To them, he is uneducated. And this time, it... It wasn't important that you could sit and really think for yourself and develop new thoughts. It was, in fact, quite important that you would refer to someone else. When I grade a paper, and Justin and I have been having these discussions a lot lately as we've been grading papers, we remind students often that we don't really care about their opinion. I don't know if some of you teachers do that. Um, If you don't, could you start? Because when we get them in college, they really need to know that. If you're in high school, academically, nobody cares about your opinion. Like, I don't care about your opinion on science or anything. We have students all the time that they write entire papers, and there's no sources. They didn't read anywhere. They didn't look anywhere. They were just sitting around and thinking, okay, I wonder what I think about this subject. I'm going to write that down. We don't value that in academics because we want... Sources, we want to show that you've done research and you've read and you've studied and prepared your argument. Jesus' day was exactly the same. When a a teacher would get up, a rabbi would get up and begin to teach, he would quote from other rabbis and other sources and make sure that he framed his argument around arguments that had been made before. That was the value seen in teaching, is where you had got your information But Jesus teaches differently. We're told elsewhere that he he teaches as one who has authority. He doesn't get up and teach quoting a bunch of other people. And so they see that immediately and and it, it 
surprises them. They marvel at it, but it's also something that they don't like because they, they want to hear where he has gotten this information. And he tells them in verse 16, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Now, this is Jesus. This is the one who has made the world. This is the one who has spoken and everything that exists now came into existence at the power of his word. And yet he deflects from himself to tell them, I've not come up with this myself because if he had, it would not have been with authority in their view. He points them to his source. And it's not some rabbi and it's not some tradition, but he tells them that his teaching what he is saying and what he is communicating to them and the truth that he is revealing to them is not something that he has come up with, but it is something from him who sent me, he says at the end of verse 16. It's not his teaching. It's God's teaching. It's the Father's teaching. He's not derived this from himself. Friends, this is important contrast in priorities. Because when you and I speak and when you and I share the good news of Christ as as we are committing to do today, as we name a person who, who is far from Christ and needs a relationship with Christ, what we are promising to do is not tell them our opinions and not teach them and invest in them things that we have come up with, but we are wanting to share with them the truth of God's Word. Because it is the truth of God's word. It is his truth. It is his teaching that has the priority and is important. Friends, our opinions do not matter in comparison to God's word. That's important that that our teaching, our understanding, the things that we communicate with others come from the word of God and comes from his truth. But, But ultimately, our opinion doesn't matter. What what does matter is that God has spoken. God has spoken and He has given us His Word. He has given us clarity on life. And our response, our, our appropriate response is to defer to Him. Again, we've seen this demonstrated throughout Jesus' life. When they want to make Him a king, He says, it's not my time, when they want him to go and do things that aren't his to do, when it's not his hour, when it's not his time, he defers to God. Friends, we would be wise to do the same. There's a contrast. Our world thinks it is extremely intelligent and smart and they know everything and has it all together, but in the end, it is what God has said that will matter. All of our human wisdom will fade away, but the wisdom of God will never end. A second contrast. First, it's not my teaching, it's God's teaching. Next, it's not my will, but God's will. Look what he says in verse 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether this teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. If anyone's will is to do God's will, his will, talking about the one who sent him. So in verse 16, he's saying he is doing the teaching of the one who sent him. And now in verse 17, he says, if it's anyone's will to do 
That person's will, the one who sent me's will, God's will, is how the ESV has translated it. Even though it just, it says his will, the one who sent him, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking of my own authority. In other words, he's saying if, if your desire is to do what God has said, if your desire is to follow after the Father, then you'll know when you hear these things that I'm teaching, you'll know where they come from. He's going to talk later about their disobedience to the law of God. He's saying you've got to make a decision. Is your desire, is your heart's desire going to be to obey God or to disobey God? Are you going to listen to what God has said or are you going to ignore it? Because if your will, if your desire is to listen to what God has said, then you will hear the things that I am teaching and saying, and you will know that these things are not on my authority, Jesus is saying, but on the authority of God. It's amazing how your life changes when you decide that you're going to obey God. I'll be honest. I think you have a lot less questions about the things you should be doing and whether they are things pleasing to God when you decide, I'm just going to do what God has said. Now, I know that, that often in our minds we, we struggle with that concept because we want to know more and understand more and, and our, our minds only have so much knowledge that are available to us. We, we live in a, a fallen condition and we don't have infinite knowledge and unending knowledge and we don't understand all the things that God does. In fact, we don't understand most of the things that God understands. But there's a change that takes place in our heart when we come to the point of saying, I'm just going to do what God has said. You know, the old hymn goes that though none go with me, what I still will follow. That when we say it doesn't matter, okay, what the world has said, it doesn't matter the, the new morality of the world, it, it doesn't matter what the world says is right and what the world says is wrong, it doesn't matter what the world has said about me, I'm going to make the commitment that my will is going to be the Father's will. I'm going to do God's will. All of a sudden, things start to fall into place. But until that becomes a reality, there's always going to be a distance between us and God. As long as we keep saying, I'm, I'm going to do my will, I'm going to do what I want to do, I'm going to follow what I think is right. Friends, we're always going to have questions about the things that God says. I mean, do we not see that happening in denominations across our country? Whether it's with the understanding of Scripture, the understanding of human sexuality, the understanding of authority, whatever it is. When we say, I'm going to do what I want to do, well, we're always then going to question what God says because He's going to tell us to do some things that we don't really want to do. Our sinful heart will, will cause us to desire to do all of these things that God has said, you know what, that's wrong. And many of the things God has said, go and do, we'll say, I don't know that I really want to do that. I'm not sure I feel comfortable doing that. But friends, when we make that commitment, when our will is to do God's will, 
it makes it really easy then for us to see whether teaching is from God or whether we're speaking on some other authority. It makes it easy to discern, or at least easier to discern. We hear something that is clearly from God, we read it in His Word, we say we're going to do it because our will is to do God's will. When we hear someone say something that we know that is contrary to God's Word, that is what God has told us not to do, we realize that. We reject it. Why? Because it's no longer my will to do what I want to do, but it's my will to do what God wants me to do. That's a contrast in priorities, and Jesus clearly desires to do the will of God. What flows out of that, a third thing does. It's not my authority, it's God's authority. So if it's my will, I'll do God's will. If it's my will to do God's will, I'll I'll understand what God has told me to do. But, But it's not my authority It has to be God's authority. Look what he says. The one who speaks in his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. In him there is no falsehood. Jesus wants them to be clear. Though he is the creator of the universe, which again, we as the reader know this. We have read this from John chapter 1. We know who Jesus is. We know his power and his authority. But what does he do as he is talking to these Jewish people? He's talking to the religious leaders and the crowd that is there. What does he do? He tells them, I'm not here on my own authority. Now, he could be. He certainly has the power to be. But he's come in God's authority. He's not seeking his own glory. That would be the test, right? Right? The test is if he was seeking his own glory, then clearly he would be there on his own authority. But he says, I'm here to deflect glory. I'm here to seek the glory of him who sent me. You notice he uses that phrase again. He's talking about the Father. I'm here to bring glory to the Father. He's deflecting. He's deflecting glory because he's coming in someone else's authority. He has come as an ambassador. The ambassador is not the king. The ambassador is not the president. The ambassador is just one who is sent. Jesus has come to deflect and bring glory back to the Father. He's come to these people who God has called His own people, who God gave His law to, who God has made promises and covenants with. He has come to these people and He has come not to bring Himself glory, but to point them toward God and bring God glory. He's come not by His own authority. When we speak on our own authority, we do so only to bring ourselves glory. But that's not Jesus' pattern. That's not his example. His example is to come in God's authority. Friends, when we speak on God's authority and in such a way to give him glory, which you can probably see where this is going, obviously that's going to be the next one. When we speak on God's authority, Friends, it has power. 
There's promises that God has made to us as we, we share His Word and His truth. But friends, when we try to do something in our own authority, there's no power there. There's nothing. I have have been in churches in the past where there were people who really sought to do things in their own authority. That's how they, that's how they lived in, in church. That was their existence in church, was to do things in their authority. And I always thought it was so odd, because as, as you know, if you know my background, I, I've never lived in a major city. I've never pastored some large, prominent church, right? So I've been in rural areas like Eichard and been in churches like ours. So if you gain authority to give yourself glory, you get glory in a little Baptist church in the country. That becomes your kingdom. And some people are willing to spend every ounce of energy in their life to gain authority in a place that nobody else knows, and in our case, nobody can pronounce. But friends, when we work under the authority of God, for the kingdom of God, for the glory of God, we have authority in a kingdom that has no end, a kingdom that has no boundaries, in a place that never ends. And yet some people work their entire life to gain authority in a place that doesn't matter. I've seen in my own experience people who sought to gain authority over pieces of property that a church owned, over committees that a church had. They dedicated their heart and soul to doing that, and it gained them nothing. And one day they, if they haven't already, and I have no idea, but one day they will leave this earth, and maybe if they gained enough authority, someone will recognize them for their service in that committee or in that position or over that property, and then they'll move on. And yet, when we work under the authority of the Father, we work under an authority, again, that will never pass away. We work for an authority that not only owns all the churches, but every square inch of everything that has ever existed to the ends of the universe and beyond. Friends, that's much better than running a committee or overseeing a van or making sure that a room is set up a certain way. But friends, some people give their life for that false, fake authority that will end. And yet I read in Scripture that those who fall under the Father's authority rule and reign with Him forever. Whose authority? Will it be ours? Or will it be God's? Even Christ 
the Father's Son worked under the Father's authority. The next is like it, number four. Not my glory, but God's glory. He says, the one who has his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent me is true. In him there is no falsehood. Friends, so many people, both in church and in the world, are working for glory. They want someone else's glory. They want someone else's praise. They want that pat on the back. They want that ever-expanding role. Here is Jesus who is the word that has become flesh and dwelt among us. Here is Jesus who has spoken everything into existence and all things that were made were made for Him and by Him and through Him and they are His. That seems like a pretty good example of someone who could receive and does receive glory. So what do we have to offer? What do we have to offer that... Others should give us glory and honor and praise. Do we seek after that? Friends, it is so hard not to desire affirmation in our world. We want people to like us. We want people to tell us that we're doing a good job. We want people to pat us on the back. We want people to encourage us in that way. But why are we doing the things we do for God? Is it so that someone here would recognize us and give us glory? Or do we deflect glory from ourselves and give the praises to God? Do we brag on ourselves with the things we have done? Or do we say that it is only by God's grace? It is only by God's grace and mercy that we are able to do any of the things that we do for Him. It's only because He has called us to Himself and given us that grace that we can follow Him faithfully. Do we seek after our own glory or do we seek after God's? Number five. Number five comes about with whether the priorities will be ours or will they be God's. Look at verse 19. He says, Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon who is seeking to kill you. They think he's crazy. Remember, this is during a feast when a lot of people have come to Jerusalem. So some of these people have no doubt heard of Jesus. Some of them may have heard Jesus before, but, but others have never encountered him. And so we know from the first few verses that, that, that definitely the religious authorities are seeking to kill Jesus. But apparently not everybody knows that. And so when he, when he says that to them, they say, you have a demon. In other words, you are crazy. You're crazy. Nobody's seeking to kill you. Yet we know that's what's happening. So Jesus answers them in verse 21. I did one work. And you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers. You circumcise a man on the, on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? 
Jesus has a different priority than they do. So we remember back, back on the Sabbath, back in chapter 5 and verse 9, Jesus did heal a man. He healed him beside the pool, and the man was unable to walk. The man was unable to take care of himself, and so Jesus heals him. And what happens? The religious leaders get angry. In their view, no work should be done on the Sabbath day, that nothing should happen. And yet here's Jesus, and he is healing this man, and they are angry with him about it. Yet Jesus points out to them that according to their laws and rituals that they are observing, if, if a child is born, he was to be circumcised on the eighth day. And that happened whether or not the eighth day was on a Sabbath. They didn't wait to the next day. It was always to be done on the eighth day no matter what. So now you've got a question. What do you do? If you believe you shouldn't do anything on the Sabbath... But the law says that you should circumcise on the eighth day. Which one do you decide? Is there a contradiction there? What do you decide to do about it? Their understanding had always been that that it was better to, to heal someone. It was better to do and follow through with this ritual, which was more than a, a ritual cleansing. It was it was imperative that this be done. In fact, we know from the Old Testament, if they weren't circumcised, if they refused to do that, that God was going to judge them for it. It's all about priorities. Jesus' priority was to heal this man, to make his whole body well. They were trying to follow through with this ritual and trying to, to find what was going on and understand the the apparent contradiction, and they, they didn't want Jesus working, but it was okay for them to work. It was okay for them to, to heal this boy on the eighth day, if you will, by circumcising him, but it wasn't okay for Jesus to heal this entire man. Except that God knew that it was God, or Jesus knew that it was God's will, it was God's, the, the Father's will, that he would heal this man on this day. They have an option here. If a boy may be circumcised on the eighth day, even if it's on a Sabbath day, because it's in keeping with the law, it's a healing that he needs. How much more so should Jesus be able to do this on the Sabbath and make a whole man's body well? It's about priorities. Their priorities were trying to keep up with these traditions that they had set up. Their priority was to come against Jesus, to stop his teaching, to prove that he was in error, to prove that he was breaking the Sabbath, to prove that he was breaking God's law. They don't even keep God's law, he reminds them in verse 19. They don't even fully comply with it, and yet... For him, when he tries to heal somebody, now they seek to kill him. Yet he's not going to go with their preferences, but he's going to go with God's priority. You and I have to make that decision. All of these are priorities that we've looked at specifically, but in general, we've got to understand that God has priorities for our life. 
God desires that we go in a certain direction. God has a purpose for us. God has saved us not to be passive, but to go into the world and to make disciples. God has called us to faithful service. We have a lot of priorities in the world. Some of you, if you think about the priorities that you have for your family, for your kids, for your future, are you going to put those priorities above the priorities that God has for your life? If you have conflicting things that happen, you have a priority here and God has a priority here and and they're in conflict with one another, which one are you going to choose? See, that's what has taken place here. The, the religious leaders have a priority. No, no work on the Sabbath. Nothing should happen on the Sabbath from anybody else. Again, they can do some things, but they don't want anyone else to do anything. God has the priority through Christ of healing this man. Again, something well within God's law to do. Which is going to come first? How often do we pick our own priorities over God's priorities? We take our priorities for safety and security. We worry about possible embarrassment. If we were to talk to someone about our faith, we we worry about what people think of us if we stay faithful to Christ instead of ignoring what He has called us to do. Which one will win out when there's a conflict between your priorities and God's priorities. Who's going to win out? When you've got to make a decision about your future, about the future of your children, the future of your family, the future of your work, the future of your education, who's going to win out when you have a priority that you think is important to you, but God has a priority and it doesn't match up with yours? Who's going to win out? Will it be not your priority, but God's? Because that is the pattern that Jesus lays out for us. That no other priorities matter, but those of the Father. And then a sixth, a sixth contrast. It's not my judgment, but God's judgment. He's laid all of this out for them as he's telling them, I'm, I'm teaching these things and you need to make a decision for yourself. If you really desire to do the will of God, you'll see where my teaching comes from. You'll understand that I'm not bringing glory to myself, but I'm bringing glory to the one who has sent me. And so he ends with this truth. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Do not judge based on everything that is going on. Do not judge based on just what you see there or what you think you perceive, but, but judge based on right judgment. It's obviously a popular expression in our time that we're not supposed to judge anybody. It's odd because Jesus says, judge with right judgment. So it's okay to judge. So I fix that for you. That whole misconception. We make judgments every day, correct? We're all going to go eat somewhere at some time today, and we're going to make a judgment. Are we going to judge based on what restaurant we're going to go to, or are we going to judge based on going home? We're going to make a judgment. A lot of you in here are married. 
have been married, in a relationship, you made some judgment calls. Some of you have jobs, careers, you made a judgment call. Some of you are really happy with that judgment. Others understand that you judged wrongly. But you made judgments. We all make judgments. We judge situations. We judge when we hear things. We should judge very carefully things that we take in when it comes to things from people that claim to be religious teachers and spiritual leaders. We should judge those things harshly. When we make judgment, are we going to make our judgments or God's judgments? When you make a judgment about going into a relationship, are you going to judge based on appearances? Because that can fail miserably. Are you going to judge with right judgment? Are you going to judge in relationships, not romantic ones, just with other people? Are you going to allow people to influence you that shouldn't be influencing you? When it comes to the things of God, again, are you going to allow people to speak into your life, give influence into your life who should not do so? Friends, some of the things you can watch on television, and I'm talking about religious things, are garbage. Books you can read that are trash just because someone can publish a book doesn't mean it's worth anything. Trust me, I have multiple books published. That doesn't mean they have any value at all. Trust me, they don't. They haven't sold many copies. There's not a lot of value there. Are you making good judgments? They were trying to judge him by appearances. Remember what they said at the beginning? How is this? How is it? that this man has learning when he has never studied? They see him come in, it's obvious that he's not some educated guy. He's come out of the country, he's come down and he's teaching them, and, and yet if they judge by just what they saw, they would, they would not listen to him. So He tells them not to make that judgment, but judge with right judgment. Use God's judgment. Friends, this should be especially important to us as we're thinking about those who we might reach out to. Because sometimes we have this propensity to, to look at other people who are kind of like us. So maybe they've, they've, they've got a stable family life and maybe they've got a, a stable job and we say, you know, they're probably all right. We need to go reach out to somebody who is who is poor. We need to go reach out to somebody who doesn't have the advantages that we have. And friends, that's true. But there's a lot of people who live in your nice neighborhood today who are lost and on their way to hell. And no matter how good their job is or how much money they have, they have no hope. Yeah, there's people who are starving in other parts of the world today who seemingly have nothing and have no education and have very little food and very few resources in life, and yet they have Christ and they have everything. Because there'll be a lot of rich people who bust hell wide open when they die. There'll be a lot of middle class white people who will spend an eternity separated from God because they had the American dream and they had stability in their life, and so they were comfortable and fine with not having Jesus. We need to make judgments with right judgment.
Someone's security in the Father is not based on what they have in this life, but who has saved them by His blood. Our, our priority when it comes to judgment going to be what we think is right, what we see, what we experience, or what God has said. And so I would ask you this morning, where are your priorities? Are they God's? Are your priorities in line with the Father's priorities? Are you living in obedience to what God has called you and told you to do? Are the things He says are important? Are they important for you? When He says no, do you say no? When He says go, you say yes, sir, and go and do? Because if not, and you call yourself a believer... Friends, there's no reason not to obey the Father. The Spirit of God dwells within our heart. We have God's Word where we can take and we can consume it. Friends, what are your priorities? Do your priorities line up with the Father's? Because when He sent His Son, His Son came and dwelt among us. His Son lived a perfect life. And in everything that He did, at every moment of His life, He made His priorities the priorities of God. He made His will the will of God. He did not seek after His glory, but gave God glory. He did not speak in His authority, but spoke in the authority of the Father. And friends, He calls us to follow Him. Where are your priorities this morning? Do they line up with the Father who made you? We bow your heads with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you this morning realizing that, God, we are, we are so often at odds with what you have called us to do. We seek after fulfilling ourselves and our own priorities so much that we do not listen and obey. We, we, do, not, we do not listen, God, to your word and, and follow your instructions as to, to what we should do in life and, and what our priorities should be. We, we become so focused on ourselves that, God, our priorities are not yours. So I pray this morning that as we, God, as we spend time in prayer, and in worship. God, that you would realign our priorities. That it won't be about us. But God, it will be about you. God, we thank you for sending your son that, that by him and through him we have life. And because we have life, we can now live a life that is pleasing to you. God, help us to understand that it, 
It's not about what we can do, but it's about what you have done. God, lead and guide our hearts. And God, align our priorities with you. God, we thank you and praise you as we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me as we have a, a final song this morning. I want to invite you to respond to God's word. If, if you are not aligning your life with the priorities that God has made, friends, today is the day to do that. If you don't know him, his first priority is that you would follow him, that you would turn from your sin, repent of your sin, and believe his good news. But friends, if you have done that, then today is the day that we align our priorities with God. I want you to respond to God's word this morning, both by by bringing your commitment card down, and we're going to lay those at the front so we can pray over those, but by responding and saying, God, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. God, it's about your priority for my life. Would you respond to God's word as we sing together this morning?